and welcome into the show that covers everything across 16 southern states. If you got a little y'all in your drawl, well, you have the right spot on your radio and podcast dial. We're going to spend the next three hours getting your full dose of everything from the south, whether it be from the world of news or sports, little political news we'll share with you, the State of the Union taking place in Washington, D.C. this evening. Joe Biden there in front of all the politicos. And then on Thursday, he'll be making his way to Georgia. We've got some news about his stop in Georgia on Thursday. We also have an update coming from Elizabeth City, North Carolina, where the man was killed last week and unrest continues there in eastern North Carolina. Also in our headlines from across the Southland here today, we've got some fun stuff to share with you. So don't miss out on that fun stuff. One fun story, the world's largest white castle will be opening up in Orlando next week. Oh, don't you love some white castle if you've ever ventured to mostly Kentucky, but some portions of Tennessee have white castles. Yeah, I know it's a Yankee restaurant, but they they, they do a good job. Look out, Crystal. And White Castle expanding in Florida, it appears. And the world's largest White Castle set for Orlando in a couple of days. So we'll let you know about that. And by the way, White Castle even has breakfast. If you've never had it, you might be it might be worth a spin. All that coming up in our headlines from across the region today. We also have here in this first hour our friend Jonathan Leifheit. He is with 247sports.com, and he'll be on with an ACC report. We've got some spring football games that have already happened in the conference, and we'll hear some post-spring game audio from Georgia Tech head coach Jeff Collins. And we also have some post-spring game audio. This was held this past Saturday in Chapel Hill. We'll hear from head coach Mac Brown of the North Carolina Tar Heels as part of our ACC report. All that ahead in hour one of today's Y'all Show. And if you like what you got coming here this hour, imagine what the fun would be when you tune in in hour number two of today's Y'all Show. We'll have more headlines from across the southeast that we'll get to, and then we'll have a southern business report. Lots of great business news to share with you across the Southland and we'll let you know exactly what that is, including some good news for farmers. Also, we'll tell you about how DoorDash is currently offering lower price delivery plans amid some criticism they've had. All that coming up here on today's second hour of the Y'all Show. And then as we wrap up today, we'll wrap up the second hour specifically. Thanks to Kirkus Reviews, they've let us know the 16 best books to read in the month of May, Saturday it will become May, May 1st, May Day, May Day. And we'll let you know some great books to pick up and read in the month of May, thanks to Kirkus Review. We'll share all that here in hour number two of today's Y'all Show. And then in hour three, Art Cruz will be back with us and How Great Thou Art. And he'll be here to tell us about what's going on in the world of news and sports and politics and so much more. We'll take a quick look at headlines also in hour three. And I got something on Tuesday that I don't think I've ever received. Perhaps you have. I got an apology sent to me via text from someone who had misdialed my number. So I don't think it was some telemarker from a, from over in the Asia-Pacific rim. I think it was a, a genuine person who messed up. And, 
instead of just letting it go, they sent me a text with an apology. I'll read that to you. And I'll let you know, according to a website, some missed phone call etiquette. And perhaps you need to follow some of these etiquette rules. And we'll share what that is. Hour number three of today's Y'all Show. Boy, it's great to be back with you as we have everything ready to go. If you want to be a part of the show, we're glad that you're listening. And we appreciate all of you tuning in on our great radio network. And for all of you who get us each day and on our podcast options, you can find our podcast in iTunes. It's also at iHeartRadio. And we are at y'all.com. Now, if you haven't been to y'all.com lately, go there. It is the homepage of the South. And right there among the tabs on the top of the website, you'll see Y'all Show. And so each one of our more than 400 episodes, that's right, 400, and, and growing, each one of them is right there available for you to listen at your convenience. So pick it up and take it with you. If you're not able to get us live on the radio, our podcasts are available, and we sure, sure appreciate all of you taking the time to find out what's going on in the South. All right, let's go to our nation's capital and marking his first 100 days in office, this evening, President Joe Biden will use his first joint address to Congress to pitch a, whoo, man, I'm almost afraid to tell you this. He's pitching a $1.8 trillion, that is T-R-I-L-L-I-O-N, a $1.8 trillion investment in children, families, and education that would fundamentally transform the role government plays in American life. Now, this follows the coronavirus relief deal it follows the infrastructure deal uh, when when joe biden and the democrats took over they came out guns blazing here in 2021 and they're spending money they're spending big money they're spending untold amounts of money or wanting to spend big amounts of money they're they're in my opinion having a power grab we haven't seen in quite so long and and i remember in the first hundred days of trump it was all about how he was an agent of russia that's what the story was. And here this guy is. Oh, goodness. I'm sorry. And, and and he's also proposing taxes to go up for a lot of Americans. In the nationally televised address, the president will be standing before Congress and will lay out this sweeping proposal for universal preschool, two years of free community college, a $225 billion bill for child care, and monthly payments of at least $250 to parents. I mean, talk about Christmas come early. His ideas are reflecting the frailties that were uncovered last year by the pandemic. I'm not so sure. I mean, I don't know about you. I'm not exactly pulling down eight figures these days, but I somehow have managed, and I'm not going to give the money back, but that coronavirus relief check was a band-aid at best for me and it likely was for you and i know people who really didn't deserve it that got it it's a it was in a lot of ways a big waste of money it was and and it started in the trump administration where i think they were almost forced to come up with something and then it has continued on the fourteen hundred dollar check the most recent gift that yours truly and many of you likely also got when you went and checked the mail in the last couple of months 
Also, on Wednesday night's speech, President Biden will provide an update on progress in combating the COVID-19 crisis that he was elected to kind of get a grasp of and control. And he will showcase that hundreds of millions of Americans have had their vaccinations, and that is hopefully going to stem this awful, awful coronavirus that has now killed nearly 600 million Americans. So he also is going to be in front of Congress promoting his $2.3 trillion infrastructure plan. So let me count it up. $2.3 trillion infrastructure plus a $1.8 trillion investment in families, education, etc. That sounds like a whole lot of uh, what-ifs there. We're, we're talking nearly are just around $4 trillion on the table proposed in this first 100 days by the president. And who's going to stop him? Who is going to stop him? I don't I don't see any of this stuff uh, being vetoed or Republicans really fighting and, and, and winning here as Biden gets a chance to, as he is the duly elected president of the United States, has his chance to really, really slam the table with the progressive agenda. Now, Republican leader Mitch McConnell from the Senate said that Biden's presidency can, quote, best be described as the Biden bait and switch. President Biden ran as a moderate, but I'm hard-pressed to think of anything at all that he's done so far that would indicate some degree of moderation. That from Kentucky's Mitch McConnell. Okay, so that address before Congress is Wednesday evening. Now, Tim Scott of South Carolina is going to have the Republican rebuttal to President Biden's speech before Congress. So that might be something worth tuning in and see what T- Senator Scott, who's a fixture on television these days, what he has to say from Washington, D.C. I assume he's going to be there and not in North Charleston, S.C., his native area. On Thursday, following the President's State of the Union, he's going to get on a plane and fly to Atlanta, Georgia, President Biden will be going to Georgia to kind of give an update on his 100th day in office. He's going to have a drive-in rally to mark that 100th day in office, and that comes after, of course, the address Wednesday evening to a joint session of Congress. Now, President Biden's going to add a trip just south of Atlanta to a place called Plains, as he's going there to visit the nation's 39th president, Jimmy Carter, and his wife, Rosalind. And that is happening here this week. I don't know if he's going to take President Biden to the church and say a little prayer with him. That's something that President Carter, of course, known for leading the Sunday school class. I guess he's still doing that in his 93 years. or Rather, he's 96. Rosalind is 93 years young. They were unable to attend President Biden's January 20th inauguration because of the coronavirus pandemic. Now that both couples are vaccinated and the Carters are, they have actually resumed worshiping in person. I see that there that they are now attending their longtime church in Plains, Georgia. Joe Biden was a young Delaware senator and Carter ally during the Georgians' term in the White House from 77 to 81. That's right. Joe Biden was a U.S. senator some 44 years ago when Jimmy Carter, the peanut man, was president of the United States. Jimmy Carter, Georgia's own, is now the longest-lived American president in history, and he's going to welcome in the 46th president to Plains, Georgia, 
I assume Biden will be scooting down the planes in a helicopter since I don't think planes has a big airport. I'm actually, I'm sure there's a, uh, maybe Albany or somewhere like that near planes has an airport that can welcome him in if he flies out of Atlanta, but president Biden and president Carter getting together Thursday in the peanut state, or, or should I say peach state of Georgia, a political update coming from North Carolina, Congressman Ted Budd, that's Representative B-U-D-D, Ted Budd. He's a good bud of mine. Not just kidding. Representative Budd is now entering the Senate race for North Carolina, and he's taking aim at the radical left. He calls President Biden a weak leader, and he touts his support for President Trump's America First agenda. And he is a North Carolina congressman, and he's already promote, proposed an immigration bill before Congress, and he becomes the third major Republican candidate following the former governor, Pat McCrory, and former Congressman Mark Walker entering the race to succeed retiring U.S. Senator from North Carolina, Richard Burr, in this crucial battleground state. This is a 2022 midterm election that will be setting up in the uh, November timeline, the general election of North Carolina. Now, Bud grew up on his family's farm in Davie County in North Carolina and stressed that I've shoveled a lot of manure on my family's farm, and it's not the dirtiest job that I've ever had now that I've been to Congress. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So, yes, yeah, a couple of Republicans already in the hopper, if you will, getting ready to run for U.S. Senate from North Carolina. And I am looking here to see if we've got any kind of uh, – okay, here we go. State Senator Jeff Jackson and former State Senator Erica Smith – have jumped into the race for the Democratic Senate nomination. Former State Supreme Court Chief Justice Sherry Beasley announced her candidacy on Tuesday. Also, former NASA astronaut astronaut Joan Higginbotham is considering a bid for the Democratic nominee for U.S. Senate in North Carolina. So there you have it. North Carolina getting ready to have a big Senate race in 2022. And Congressman Ted Budd, who has shoveled manure, he says, in his lifetime, is preparing to enter the race. All right, we've got more headlines. We'll take you away from some of the political stuff in hour number two, so stay where you are for that. Don't forget, we have a sports update coming up next. We'll share with you some goings-on in baseball, Nashville. The chance of Nashville getting a Major League Baseball team. It could actually happen, y'all. I'll let you know what's going on there as we know a figure that it just might cost for the Music City to get a team and more. So so some baseball information coming your way after the timeout. Also, we're going to let you know later this hour what's going on in the Atlantic Coast Conference as Jonathan Lifite will be on with us. He is with 247sports.com, and he'll share with us some spring football news and notes. And we also have, courtesy of college baseball, an update on how things are going in the ACC for college baseball. All that is headed your way as the Y'all Show continues after this break. Ice 
on the y'all show 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with john rawl your gracious host here on y'all talk with a southern accent do you have big plans let's say around six eastern five central this saturday what you doing what, what you gonna be wearing well let me give you a hint it's actually going to be May 1st. And do you know what the first Saturday in May means if you're in the Commonwealth of Kentucky? It means the Kentucky Derby will be going down at Churchill Downs. And we've got an update coming from Louisville. Essential Quality is a two-to-one two to one favorite for this year's Kentucky Derby as the Morning line favorite, and we'll start from the number 14 post at Saturday's 147th running of the Kentucky Derby at Churchill Downs. Oh, man, it's one thing that the Masters comes in April from Augusta, Georgia, but when you have the very next month the Kentucky Derby running there and people put on their absolute best dressed to the nines and a lot of the ladies with the hats on and the fellows with the seersucker and the mint juleps are flowing. It is a true sign of southern chivalry, you could say. And we've got the Kentucky Derby taking place. The $3 million one-and-a-quarter-mile marquee race for three-year Colts is back on the first Saturday of May after being delayed in 2020 to Labor Day because of the pandemic about 45,000 spectators are expected at the track here at Kentucky Derby 2021. Don't forget you've got the Derby and then the race before that I think is called the Kentucky Oaks. Go to y'all.com. I'm going to go there right now because we have just posted up the ultimate Kentucky Derby guide there at yall.com. And if you go there, you will have a link to all kinds of fun information, including the start time. It is, go ahead and set your watch, 6.57 Eastern on Saturday is when the green flag drops. I know they don't really do that in horse racing. But, yeah, that's where you'll find the Kentucky Oaks and Kentucky Derby, Louisville, Kentucky this weekend. And if you go to y'all.com, we've got a mint julep recipe that is up right now. And some folks tell me this is about the most authentic mint julep recipe you'll find. It is actually the Old Forester mint julep recipe. And it comes directly from the Kentucky Derby website. So, yeah, I would say it's pretty official. Derby Weekend sees over 120,000 of these mint juleps sold, and they use over 1,000 pounds of fresh mint to make all of them. And this Old Forester mint julep includes two cups of sugar, ooh, two cups of water, a mint, crushed ice, and a little bourbon, a little bourbon whiskey right out of Kentucky. 
And that recipe is up at y'all.com if you click on the Ultimate Kentucky Derby Guide right on the homepage right now. And then we have official Derby menu recipes for you in addition to the mint julep. You can click on that and get all kinds of fun recipes to chow down on if you're putting on a derby party, including the meatball, cucumber, and mint skewers with yogurt dipping recipe. You've got the chilled derby day shrimp and pasta salad recipe. And, yeah, chicken wings go good with a Kentucky Derby running. And, y'all, we've got the chicken wings grilled and glazed bourbon honey pan sauce recipe up right now. And that's just that's just the food. we got your food and drink covered for the Kentucky Derby here this year. But we also have, at y'all, the Kentucky Derby by the numbers. We've got a whole story on Kentucky Derby hats, the Derby and Oaks wagering options. If you want to put a little money, put your money where your mouth is. And also, we've got a Louisville brunch spot article. If you are going to be in the Louisville area this weekend, what are some good places for you to maybe go between, let's say, uh, getting ready for the Derby and rolling out of bed at the crack of noon. All of that here for the 147th running of the Churchill Downs Kentucky Derby, and that's taking place Saturday. As I said, you better be ready, and they're off here. Y'all, we'll have a full recap of what happened at the Kentucky Derby on Monday's y'all show. But right now, as we said, Louisville's own trainer and also the horse, I think, has a connection to the Louisville area as essential quality is the two to one favorite for the Kentucky Derby running this Saturday. Get ready for the fun out of Kentucky. All right, Nashville. Uh, I know Nashville and Tennessee and even parts of Western Kentucky love the idea of the Music City becoming Major League Baseball's latest expansion franchise. And the commissioner, the guy that pulled the all-star game out of Atlanta, 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 let me, where have I been? Uh, the commissioner that took the all-star away, he stole it from the Bravos, is now trying to make, maybe make the South a little bit more uh, appealing to him. As Major League Baseball says, they would consider expansion fees in the range of $2.2 billion for new franchises, although, according to Commissioner Rob Manfred, there are no current plans to add teams. But Nashville's already got a group of pretty big hitters, pun intended. Some of them have very good connections to Major League Baseball. Some of them have been employed in the upper echelon of some of the Major League Baseball franchises. A company estimated the average MLB franchise value is $2.2 billion. The New York Yankees are valued at $6.7 billion. So, the cost, again, if there is going to be a major league team added, according to some, the range to enter, to, to join the club, $2.2 billion. Now, how about this inflation of baseball? I don't know if it's really worthy of such a huge jump in the price because I'm not so sure there's as many fans now as there was roughly 25 years ago. When the Rockies and the Marlins joined Major League Baseball in 1993, their fee to join was $95 million each. When the D-backs and the Devil Rays actually joined in the late 90s, in 1998, their cost to enter Major League Baseball, $130 million. So you're talking about going from 130 when the Devil Rays and D-backs joined to now looking at a $2.2 billion 
expansion fee. That's quite a quite a nice gain for the I guess the the teams all share in the wealth there. Manfred has said repeatedly that Major League Baseball will not consider expansion until the Oakland A's and the Tampa Bay Rays get new ballparks. The Athletics have proposed a stadium in the Howard Terminal of downtown Oakland, while the Rays have said they will pursue splitting seasons between the Tampa Bay area and Montreal starting in 2028 after their lease at St. Petersburg's Tropicana Field comes to an end. So it looks like, it's almost like wink, wink, if Nashville and or some other possible expansion candidates, Charlotte, Las Vegas, Montreal, Portland, and Vancouver, they might, if they're smart, try to woo the A's, woo the Rays, and potentially get a team to relocate instead of waiting around for Major League Baseball to expand. But yes, right now, Nashville, if they're going to join the fun, it looks like they're going to have to pay a pretty, pretty big fee to enter Major League Baseball. And of course, Charlotte, you've got the Charlotte Knights that play in downtown at Truist something. It's not Truist Park. It's Truist. It's got another catchy nickname. Uh, they also would love to have Major League Baseball in the Carolinas. All right, sad news from both the ACC and the NFL. Former Florida State linebacker Geno Hayes, former Tampa Bay Buccaneers player Geno Hayes, has died at the age of 33. We let you know the other day here on the show that he had been moved to hospice. But, yes, this former linebacker has died after being diagnosed with liver disease two years ago and he was awaiting a liver transplant. Geno Hayes was just 33 years old. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers put a statement out. I'll try to pull this up here and let you know what the Bucks said as an organization with the loss of this former players. They said, We are deeply saddened to learn of Geno Hayes' passing during his time with the Buccaneers. Geno was a beloved teammate and often the first player to volunteer his time to our efforts in the community. He frequently visited schools and had a remarkable ability to connect with children. Losing him at such a young age is heartbreaking. Our thoughts and prayers are with his family. That from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a classy statement there for, again, this former Buccaneer and former Florida State football player. He was a native of Georgia. He also played for the Chicago Bears and Jacksonville Jaguars during his career. He had been placed in hospice care at his parents' home in Valdosta earlier in April. Again, at the age of 33, former linebacker Geno Hayes passing away. Our thoughts to the family there and just a sad thing. Don't forget, you got the NFL draft taking place Thursday from Cleveland. And a quick look at the picks in case you've been in under a rock or you've just tuned out the NFL draft thus far. It might be time to start paying attention. Here's your top 10 draft teams draft picks whatever you want to call it number one jacksonville they get the number one pick they're expected to get clemson qb trevor lawrence number two the new york jets picking third after they traded from the houston texans through the miami dolphins the 49ers are at three the atlanta falcons are at four the Bengals are at five and due to a trade from the philadelphia eagles the miami dolphins move up to number six in this year's nfl draft the mighty Detroit Lions are seven in the NFL draft this year. Matt Rule and the Carolina Panthers are at number eight. The Broncos will be picking number nine. And America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, has the 10th pick in this year's NFL draft.
Now, how about some college football news and notes here? Get this. This past weekend, the Mississippi Landsharks held their spring football game, the Grove Bowl, at Vault Hemingway Stadium on the Oxford campus. And following the game, Coach Lane Kiffin decided to axe his offensive line coach and running game coordinator, Randy Clements. He's gone. He was entering his second season on the Mississippi staff and fired by Kiffin soon after Kiffin was named the Rebels head coach and was hired, rather, by Kiffin just after Kiffin got to Ox Vegas. And now he is telling this guy, just after spring drills are over, see you later. We don't need you. One other name of football note, this from the high school ranks, is being told to hit the road, Jack. Rush Probst. Now, he had been the head coach of the Hoover Bucks in Alabama. There had been, I think, an HBO series that featured Coach Rush Probst there in Alabama. Then he moved on to Georgia and had been coaching in South Georgia for a number of years. The Valdosta Board of Education voted Tuesday not to renew the contract of Rush Probst, who was placed on administrative leave after allegations surfaced that he recruited players and their families and then solicited money to pay their living expenses. The board decided not to renew the coach's contract with a 5-3 vote. Now, he had been in the news lately because he was on the record talking about improprieties, if you will, in college football recruiting. Maybe that's what's got him. I don't know uh, what the real reason here was, but the 63-year-old coach had been one of the most successful high school coaches in the country. He had won five state championships at Hoover High, and that's in the Birmingham suburbs. And then he announced his resignation at the end of 2007 from Hoover and then ended up settling in Georgia where he had done great things there in South Georgia. So, yeah, you come out, you talk about recruiting, and you do other uh, uh, questionable things, if you will, you end up getting sent packing. And that's what's happened to the Georgia high school football coach, Rush Probst. More on this developing story we'll cover as we move along. All right, we're going to move along here on the show. It is time when we come back from the break to talk a little ACC sports. Jonathan Leifite is with the website 247sports.com, and he's going to be on to let us know about some spring football for teams like Georgia Tech and also the North Carolina Tar Heels. Mac Brown doing an incredible job there at Keenan Stadium. We'll let you know about that, and some ACC baseball news and notes from Jonathan is also part of our deal with him. And we'll have him on right after the break on this, the show that covers everything Southern. More sports is up after the break. Hills, welcome back to y'all talk with a southern accent. I am John Rawl, and this is the show that has the ACC featured alongside conferences like the Big 12 and the SEC, oh, and the OVC and the SWAC and the MEAC 
and the SOCON and Conference USA and the American, and I'm sure there's other ones out there. John Rawl back here with you, 803-816-1170. If you've got an ACC-related question that you've got for our next guest, hey, we're happy to ask. We are an ambassador for all things ACC and more. Jonathan Leifite covers the Atlantic Coast Conference for 24-7 Sports. That is a CBS Sports Digital Network, and he has been on the patrol of ACC athletics for decades now. I, I don't want to make him feel old, but I'm just telling the truth. I'm just an ambassador of truth here on y'all. And Jonathan Leifite is back on here to talk about the North Carolina Tar Heels and Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets and a little Clemson Tiger sports talk and more. Jonathan, hello. Welcome back to y'all. Thanks thanks for having me again, and it's good to be here. And uh, I don't feel like it's been decades, but unfortunately it has been. It really has. You've been covering ACC sports since the birth of the internet almost. Yeah, 97. Golly, I was thinking it was in the 90s, but yeah, congratulations. You know, one more year and you'll get that gold watch. Uh, probably a silver one. Okay, all right, sounds and only, good. And only if, I, only if I buy it myself. Ah, I got you. Well, Jonathan, I tell you who deserves plenty of jewelry based on what he's done in the past and what he's doing now. Mac Brown and the North Carolina football team. They just held their spring football game this past weekend in Chapel Hill. We're going to hear from the coach here in a minute, but – Remind all of us, since it has been a couple of months in USC, UNC's case since they got on the field, I think in the Orange Bowl, tell me what you think of the job that Mac Brown's done and only now entering his third year as the Hills coach. Well, I mean, it's been pretty remarkable, I mean, how quickly he turned around. You know, this was a team that I think had just two or three wins prior to him arriving, and then, you know, very quickly. Um, and then on top of that, he's just recruited, uh, you know, gangbusters. And so he's done a very good job. Um, he really, I think the one thing that probably set him forth is, is most teams in the college will live and die with a quarterback and him snagging Sam Howell from, from uh, Florida state was probably one of the, one of the, the things that really set them on the path and got them going. And, and now they've got it rolling and uh, he's doing quite a job and, and, you know, they're, uh, they, they were a team that got up into the top 10 in, in 2020 and, you know, they finished up seven and three. Uh, excuse me, eight and four overall, seven and three in the ACC, um, and really did did quite well for themselves. So you, you got to hand it to him, and, and they're looking like they're going to be another tough team in in twenty twenty one. And when they took on the Aggies in the Orange Bowl, that was a game UNC definitely could have won there late, and it just kind of got out of control there in the closing minutes. But a a very good season, and Mac Brown continues to work wonders after being out of coaching for all those years and on ESPN and more North Carolina, let's, what, what are you expecting from this team yourself entering 2021? Well, I mean, if you look at kind of the, the coastal side of things, you've got, they're going to be, it's going to be them in Miami that are going to be the two consensus picks for, you know, who wins the division. Um, and if you ask me, I think North Carolina has got the advantage over, over Miami. So um, from, from that standpoint, they're, they're going to be the favorite or at least one of the favorites heading into the season to to uh, to uh, to be in the in the championship game in Charlotte. Well, as mentioned, the Heels held their spring football game this past weekend on the lovely campus of the University of North Carolina. We're going to go in now and hear some thoughts Mac Brown had about his football team here on the Y'all Show. So get ready for this here on the Y'all Mac Brown coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels and I should have done a better job of trimming this up so I don't know what's going to be when I hit play what we're going to hear Jonathan but take it away coach 
the most important thing about a, a spring game is that uh, uh, number one, you don't get anybody hurt or lose somebody for the fall because uh, we've tackled some this year with the, the younger ones, but we, we haven't tackled the entire team this spring at one time for a, for a full scrimmage. So there's always a discussion, should it be thud? Uh, because you, you, you can play your older experienced players longer uh, without the, the uh, chance of getting someone hurt. So we, we felt like that uh, uh, it was really, really important having a very difficult game on the road to open the season that we finish spring practice with, with a game without the kicking. We've had a lot of kicking throughout the, the spring practice. So uh, I felt like that was uh, good. Uh, everybody got to play. Uh, we had uh, 85 plays. We've been 75 and 77. So we, we had more today than, than we've had in our other scrimmages. Uh, I thought the guys competed. Um, so I, this will be a, a tremendous video for us uh, here in a couple of hours where we can start looking at the, um, the guys that we need to separate at every position, but specifically the young ones. Uh, this is invaluable to, to the, the 12 uh, high school seniors that haven't been to a prom yet uh, to be in their first ball game. And, and that's, I was talking to Jabari Ritzy uh, before the game. He said, gosh, my first game. And I thought, you know, it really is. Uh, so, so they, uh, they had the experience and, and we, we had pregame meal. We, we had uh, just about all the things that, that we would have on game day for them. So, so they can experience what a game day is actually like. I was proud of the fans that weathered the awful weather. Uh, and they, they did a good job of coming out and they were actually loud and seemed to have had a good time. And, and that was fun. And I'm glad we didn't try to move the game because uh, we're going to play in the rain in the fall. Uh, there's absolutely going to be a game. And, and now we've had a practice for, for a, a wet day. And that's hard to, to get. We've all taken buckets of water and dipped a ball in it to, to have a wet ball. And uh, we didn't have to do that today. All right. There's some good thoughts from Mac Brown, head coach, of the North Carolina Tar Heels after his unit held their spring football game at Keenan Stadium over the weekend. And in that press conference, you heard him talk about a difficult schedule headed for the Tar Heels in 2021. And I've got the schedule Jonathan Lifeite pulled up here in front of me. And the Heels get their season. Assume, assuming we, we can't assume too much looking ahead in the future these days when it comes to the coronavirus. But if it goes the way it's supposed to, North Carolina opens up their season on the road with a conference game this year at Virginia Tech. And then in the month of September, they've got Georgia State coming into Chapel Hill, a game against their rival, the Virginia Cavaliers. And then they close out the month of September at Bobby Dodd Stadium taking on the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, their coastal division foe there. So, Jonathan, thoughts on that early schedule for the Heels? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, the, the first game is a Friday night at Virginia Tech. Um, that'll be, you know, that'll probably be a good litmus test for, for both teams. Virginia Tech's probably going to be one of those teams that will challenge, but I don't think they're quite one of the leaders in the, on the coastal. Uh, Virginia, um, that team, we'll have to see kind of what they have. I'm, I'm not clear on what they're going to bring to the table. And then they, you mentioned they closed out um, in uh, September. And actually, that game for Georgia Tech will be played at Mercedes-Benz Stadium oh. as opposed to Bobby Dodd. So uh, that'll be a little different venue from from what's from what normally happens. So, uh, but uh, I, I think that's a it's a pretty good early test. They really only have one gimme in there, and that's Georgia State. Um, and uh, I think uh, they'll probably handle them pretty pretty good. Um, but all in all, uh, you know, back September normally you don't get cranked up in your in your conference schedule. 
uh, really till October, and, and they're gonna they're gonna take uh, they're gonna end up with uh, you know <laughs> three conference games in September. Yeah, it's it's going to be a, a a real challenge there for Mac Brown. He talked about it. some of his players were kind of just getting used to the bright lights of college football. Well, that's going to be quite an awakening when you have games at Lane Stadium to get things going, and then not little Bobby Dodd Stadium, but uh, Mercedes Benz Stadium when they go to the capital city of the state of Georgia. So, yeah, and of course that reason for that game being at Mercedes Benz Stadium about two years ago, Georgia Tech Athletics signed a deal to where they're going to play at least one game inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the next several years. Some of those include the Chick-fil-A deal, but some of these include just regular season games. Right, Jonathan? That is correct. And in this case, this will be a regular season game. So uh, it will not be the part of Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A will have a, a part in, in putting some of that on, but it, it won't be the Chick-fil-A game that they normally have on Labor Day weekend. All right. Well, speaking of those jackets, Jonathan fight. The Georgia Tech football team held their spring football game, kind of like they're going to do with uh, your famous Friday night or Thursday night games. They held their spring game Friday night in Atlanta. Jonathan, we're going to hear from Jeff Collins, head coach of the Jackets, in just a second. But what's Jonathan Lifeite's take on the Ramblin' Rex football for spring? Yeah, they. It was a. It was certainly an entertaining uh, tending game. I was actually in attendance for that, and. Uh, um, they they ran an interesting format where they basically divided the teams by quarterback and let everybody else just kind of play, uh, and then and then of course uh, Jeff played uh, played around with the scores of went just to keep the game close. But um, I think the, the biggest takeaways from that was Jeff Sims looks like he is really taking a step forward, and that is a team that's probably going to live and die with with really how their, their 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 lines do. The offensive line looked really improved to me. Um, I'm not clear on the defensive line. If they can get that group to kind of uh, step up, I think that they'll they'll probably take a pretty substantial step forward in the season. If they can't get that cleared up, then then it'll probably be a, a kind of a struggle. So that's the area to, to watch for with the, with the Yellow Jackets. In the moments following the conclusion of the 2021 spring game, the head coach of Georgia Tech's football program met with the media to discuss his team's performance. Let's go in to the bowels of Bobby Dodd Stadium here from Jeff Collins talking about those Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets and their spring football performance. Really proud of the guys, how they attacked this offseason with Coach Lou and our strength staff, um, the leadership that's been developed, the new guys that have come in. We had 13 guys come here in January and have done a great job just diving into the culture, uh, just being one of us, which is a big deal to us. Uh, we've got some great leaders that have emerged from that group and some great teammates that have added to what is a really, really good culture. Uh, the four guys, uh, so on Monday, we had the entire team vote uh, leaders and teammates in the organization. And uh, four guys got a lot of votes as great leaders, as great teammates, and they were recognized tonight as captains. Uh, one is Wanye Thomas, who's done a great job for us uh, for the last two years. Uh, Jeff Sims, uh, quarterback, played a true freshman role for us last year, started every game. And just the growth and development uh, that he's gone through this offseason, really, really proud of him. Uh, Ace Ely, uh, transfer from the Big Ten, came in here in January and in four short months has made a tremendous impact to our program. Uh, he is a great leader. He is a great teammate. Uh, he's a great worker uh, within our program. And then Ryan Johnson, uh, thankful that he decided to come back 
uh, to continue developing uh, his skill set for the next level in our program as an offensive lineman, but just his selfless leadership every single day, accountability, discipline, uh, the culture, doing extra, uh, being a great dude in the program. Uh, just really proud of those four. And there's so many more uh, that I could take the time to mention in our program that are just really positive individuals that come to work every single day uh, with the right mindset, the right vibe, the right work ethic. And hopefully we got to see that uh, on the on display tonight, the way they played, the way they competed, uh, the way they work together, the way they enjoy playing this great game uh, for the Georgia Institute of Technology in the right way. And I'm just really proud of them and proud of the coaches uh, and the staff as well. All right. Love him throwing out the Georgia Institute of Technology there, the official name of Georgia Tech. That is Jeff Collins talking about his team's performance in their spring game held Friday night at Bobby Dodd Stadium. And Jonathan Lifite, I tell you what, if I've ever, if I have a bad day, you mentioned. You mentioned him on a first-name basis. Do you think I could get Jeff Collins' phone number and have him kind of pump me up a little bit? Yeah, he's he's quite the, uh, the motivator, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, uh, he's uh, it just – it's kind of funny to kind of watch. You know, you had uh, – um, you, you look at some of the coaches in the past at Georgia Tech and, and like like Georgia Larry was a pretty pretty grumpy guy, but generally, you know, generally a positive guy, but a little grumpy. Paul Johnson the same way. And – uh and Jeff Collins is, is just a complete 180 from from both of those, and and both of those guys had great success. So it'll it'll be interesting to see of how uh, how that uh, will translate into uh, on field results over time. Jonathan here on the Y'all Show. We have our favorite four letter word. It is Y A L L, and Derek King is your quarterback of the Miami Hur- Hurricanes these days. And we got to give props to Derek King on social media. He put a tweet out with him tossing the ball during the spring workouts for the U, and he wrote on Instagram, back like I never left, see y'all soon. He didn't put the apostrophe in y'all, but that's okay. Derek King, what can you tell me about the Miami signal caller? I I mean, uh, him coming back uh, for another year with Miami was a big coup for them. Um, You know, he he was a a transfer, came in from a, from uh, Houston and, and really highly regarded, had done a fantastic job there. Decided uh, he wanted to try somewhere else, and and really, uh, Miami is going to live and die with with how he does and and how he performs. Uh, they've they had a lot of quarterback issues in the years prior to him being there, and last year he really shored that up, and and he'll continue to do that. He's a, a very excellent quarterback, um, can run the ball, throw the ball, he he does it all, and uh, um, really really brings a lot to the table. All right, Miami, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, we've got it all covered here on today's Y'all Show. I'm even going to talk about Clemson in just a second, but it's not necessarily because of something going on with their coaches or even their football players on the Tiger football program. We're talking with Jonathan Lifeite, 247sports.com. Jonathan, this week it came out that the college football playoff could expand and I wanted to ask you about that because it looks like Jim Clements, the president of Clemson University, has now been added to the college football playoff committee. What's up with the CFP? Well, this is just part of uh, they, they do a normal rotation to bring in fresh blood and keep you know keep things from getting stale and 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 also fresh perspectives, make sure everybody's represented. And this was just just an, a, another rotation. I, I can't remember who he replaced. But I believe that particular person had served their time, and now it was time for uh, someone new to come in. So, uh, 
So that was just that's that's just the, the makeup of the committee. All right. So anything else football related we can get from you before we move over to the sport of college baseball, Jonathan? Uh, I believe Pitt also had their spring game recently, and and uh, and they look like a team. They've got a lot of a lot of talent, a lot of draft choices. They're going to be a tough team to to kind of to, to deal with as well on the field. So, um, but uh, all in all, spring practice is pretty much. Uh, wrapping up at this point i don't believe there's any spring games left for the acc at this point i might have that wrong but i believe most almost all of them have been completed all right text line open 803-816-1170 by the way is how you can reach us we've got a text coming in since i warned you we were going to talk a little college baseball looking at the top 10 of college baseball according to d1baseball.com you have two acc programs currently in the top 10 Dan McDonald's Birds of Louisville are checking in at number seven, but the team at number eight is what this texter is now texting in, wanting to know, how can Notre Dame be ranked number six, they're number eight in this D1 baseball poll, how can they be ranked so high when they have a record of 21-8 and eight overall and 18-8 and eight in the ACC? Jonathan Lifeite, what about those Irish well, I mean, they are sitting in second place right behind Louisville in the Atlantic right now, and uh, uh, their overall winning percentage is better than Louisville, so it doesn't surprise me. Um, it's it's kind of funny to watch kind of some of the records this year. You'll notice a lot of the teams, particularly the top teams, don't have quite as high a, a winning percentage, and that's because most teams have not played a lot of non-conference, the normal easier games, the midweek games that go on, and they've kind of launched more heavily into uh, into conference play. Um, so the better teams are playing better competition. They're playing harder schedules. So you're, you're not going to see really gaudy records um, this year, and that's just because of the way they scheduled it due to, due to the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Okay, that's what Jonathan Lifeite says. What's happening on the diamond this weekend in ACC baseball play? Well, we've got a breakdown of who is playing, who's on first, who's on second. This weekend in ACC play, some teams are playing out of the conference. It's Northern Kentucky as they'll be traveling away from Florence and places like that in Northern Kentucky to take on the Pitt Panthers in a weekend series. That Notre Dame team will be hosting North Carolina this weekend in South Bend. The Troy Trojans will be just to the south of the Wiregrass as they'll be in Tallahassee to take on Florida State in a weekend college baseball series. An old Big East rivalry renewed on the diamond. The Hurricanes will be in Chestnut Hill to take on B.C. this weekend. Louisville will be in Clemson to take on the Tigers. The Owls, who you ask? Yes, the Owls will be flying in from Cobb County to take on the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets there at the Rusty Sea this weekend. NC State will be on Tobacco Road to have a weekend series of college baseball against Wake Forest. And Virginia and Virginia Tech will have a series, some of those games televised on the ACC Network here this weekend. But that is the lineup for some college baseball around the Atlantic Coast Conference. Jonathan Lifeite, 24-7 Sports, on with us each week to talk about the ACC. Jonathan, we really appreciate your kindness, your time, and more. And uh, best of luck watching a little Kentucky Derby and mixing in a little college baseball and more here this weekend. I'll be looking forward to it. Uh, definitely. Uh, thanks for having me on. All right. Jonathan Lifeite, everybody again with 247sports.com. Well, we've got a quick y'all.com Southern accent report coming up right after this. Stay tuned. This is y'all talk with a Southern accent.
Southern accent. Here's an accent on the South from Yaw.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. New Orleans is looking to provide citywide Wi-Fi, allowing free wireless access for homes currently lacking in connection or for residents who cannot afford it. Officials have stated that the project could be developed at no cost to the city, with federal grants covering part of the cost, with vendors selling collected data to make up for out-of-pocket investments. However, concerns have been raised in regard to cybersecurity, as New Orleans had to spend more than $7 million in a December 2019 ransomware attack that took out many city departments and required an entire security overhaul of the IT system. And it was just one of many cyber attacks targeting governmental bodies. Introducing a new free public Wi-Fi network raises the chances for hackers looking to steal personal information. Bob Oster, CEO of Inspire Technologies in Harahan, Louisiana, has suggested that city officials should look for a vendor that provides separate login info for individual users in order to better avoid data theft. The city wants to use a vendor that can help aid in city functions, such as street lighting, traffic and water management, disaster response, and wayfinding. Hopefully, the city can achieve this lofty goal while making it safe for the general public. Southern fun and more at y'all.com. All righty. Thank you there. Kobe Bennett does a great job with the Southern Accent Report here on the Y'all Show. And we think we've done a great job of giving you plenty of good information here in this first hour of the show covering everything about Dixie. We ain't done, y'all. we got two more hours of y'all headed your way. we got some headlines from across the region coming up. A Southern Business Spotlight coming up in hour two. And we also have... A quick look at some of the great books to read in the month of May. All that coming up in Hour 2. Art Cruz standing by for Hour 3 of Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. We will be right back. John Rawl, man, it's good to have you back here as we're covering everything in the 16 southern states. This hour, we've got some business news and notes, good news for farmers of the south. We'll tell you about that as part of our southern business report. We also have another southern accent. Actually, I want to apologize. I completely slipped up and didn't play our Kobe Bennett southern accent focus on the arts on the Tuesday Y'all Show. I'm going to slip in and give y'all a bonus Southern accent here today on the Y'all Show in this second hour. So apologies we didn't get arts in in our third hour on Tuesday, but hey, we'll do it today and nobody will even know. I won't even tell you about it. Yeah, that's coming up here this hour. Plus, Kirkus Reviews has a new article out called, and they do a good job of covering the book world And they've got a new article just in time for Saturday's arrival of the month of May. They've got the 16 best books to read in the month of May. And I'll tell you, if you want to go get you a good book, yeah, you can do that thanks to Kirkus Reviews. And we'll have that coverage later in the hour. Want to let you know Art Cruz is on board for hour number three today. And Art's got some stuff on his mind that you don't want to miss out on. And he's going to be on in hour three to talk about that firing 
of Randy Clements at the University of Mississippi. That was the offensive coach and running game coordinator that Lane Kiffin sent packing in the last 24 hours. And Art's going to say something about that. I'm going to have to ask Art, has he ever been sent packing? I I don't want to confess here with all y'all that I've actually been terminated, but there's actually a pretty good chance I haven't been now that I think about it. Yeah, but I'll ask him about Clements being sent packing out of Oxford. Also, some surprises for the Atlanta Braves and St. Louis Cardinals. A home run derby in the Pioneer League. What is the Pioneer League? What's the home run derby in that? We'll tell you about it. Also, Art's got some things to say about the forthcoming NFL draft. Will the Titans get it right this time? They made a big boo-boo last year. To their defense, I don't think anybody could have guessed that their first-round draft pick of 2020 could have been a complete disaster that it turned out to be. I don't even want to speak the guy's name. Frankly, I forgot about it because he's irrelevant. He's not even, I think, on any roster right now. All that coming up here and so much more fun coming in hour three of today's y'all program. If you want to reach out to us and if you want to reach out and touch someone, well, we want you to reach out and touch y'all. Our website, y'all.com, Y-A-L-L.com. Go ahead and bookmark that if you will. I don't ask a lot. But I do ask one small favor from all y'all. Please go to y'all.com, bookmark that page, and go and visit it each and every day. We're adding stories. We've got the Kentucky Derby covered big time as it is going down. It's going down Saturday. We also have great stories about SpaceX and the unfortunate loss of life in Louisiana from that ship that went down in the last week. All that right there at the homepage of the South Y'all com so bookmark that we have a facebook page but i'm not really pushing facebook these days i'm kind of having a lover's quarrel with facebook and twitter and all that maybe you are too frankly we had to have time out we had to have our time apart and i'm enjoying my time away from facebook and twitter and instagram i i have less stress and i'm frankly mad at them i chose to kind of divorce them because of the way they were treating a lot of us uh, conservatives and or people who just have something different to say than the norm. And I don't like what they've done. So I said, okay, I'm just going to be proactive and go ahead and say goodbye to you for a while. And it's been going on a couple of months, and I'm I'm actually surviving. And frankly, we're here at the Y'all Show. We're about y'all. So why do we want to make some people in Silicon Valley rich when we can make a few dollars or Deutschmarks ourselves? And we can do that if you just go to our homepage, y'all.com, and find this show and share it and tell everybody about it. So we're just so, as many Pearl would say, we're just so proud to be here. And we are proud to be here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Let's get into headlines across the Southeast here as we continue on with coverage of the Southeast and more. Had a lot of political stuff that we covered in our number one. Going to move over now and continue talking about a sort of political story. This does tie into politics, but a sheriff from the Houston area has been named to lead the immigration agency known as the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, A-E-R-I-E-I-C-E. <laughs> Harris County Sheriff Ed Gonzalez, whose jurisdiction includes the Houston metro area, nominated director of ICE, an agency that's been without a Senate-confirmed leader since back in 2017. After his election of the sheriff of Harris County in 2016, Gonzalez fulfilled a campaign promise to withdraw Harris County from a federal partnership that authorizes sheriff's deputies to enforce 
immigration laws, and that ended an agreement that had been in place for 12 years. So, yeah, this guy, of course, not exactly a big fan of maybe the Trump era way and the ICE way. He is now being nominated by President Joe Biden to be one of the nation's most, I guess, leading forces on immigration, picking this law enforcement official who was very critical of Trump's hardline immigration policies. Harris County Sheriff Ed Gonzalez now the nominee for ICE in the Joe Biden administration. All right, another story out of the Lone Star State here on this Wednesday, a a really bad story to read. But this happens. If we live in the South and it's springtime and you got flowers blooming and you got gardens to go out and harvest, there's going to be occasional bites of bees. And in Texas, a bee attack has left one person dead and one person hospitalized. A firefighter removed his own protective gear to help protect a woman there in the north-central Texas area where this swarm of bees went after a person. The Breckenridge Fire Department said the attack happened Monday afternoon in a residential area in Stevens County that's about two hours north of the Metroplex. Firefighters and sheriff's deputies faced very aggressive bee activities and a swarm of bees as they entered the home where one person, person was suffering from heart problems after being severely stung. So, yes, one person dead after a bee attack, and it's just a reminder that we love our animals of the world, even our insects, but they can be deadly. And so please be very careful. If you get a bee or wasp or one of them darn yellow jackets or other insects out there, please be aware that they can be deadly. And I know that for myself, I've not been bitten by something like this and. A couple of decades, I'm actually dreading if if it happens, and it will likely happen that that uh, that I could be bit or you could be bit. Just be very very cautious because we do have people die every year from from bees and a swarm of bees attacking there in North Central Texas in Stevens County. One person dead, one person hospitalized, and I'll tell you one thing: I didn't realize how scary yellow jackets can be because. They actually nest in the ground. And so a lot of people tell me that when they're on bush hogs and they're going through fields sometimes on bush hogs, they don't realize it, but they'll be going over a yellow jacket nest, and those things will come after you on the tractor even, and you'll have to jump off. And sometimes jumping off the tractor could lead to injury or death and not necessarily the attack of the flying insects. So just a friendly reminder here in the South, we got all kinds of creatures. Some can be deadly, and you better be careful out there when you're up and going into yards or more, and bees especially can be very, very painful, even deadly. Lawmakers in Arkansas approved a rework bill that aims to preempt federal gun restrictions following objections from Governor Hutchison, law enforcement, and prosecutors and that a previous proposal went too far and jeopardized public safety. The Arkansas legislation declares invalid in the state any federal gun restrictions enacted on or after the 1st of January of this year that violate the constitutional right to bear arms. The Arkansas House voted 79-20 to along party lines to send the measure to Governor Hutchinson moments after the Senate approved the bill. Now, Republicans in the natural state and elsewhere have been pushing to block federal gun restrictions despite questions about the constitutionality of such measures. 
as they cite fears of new gun control under President Joe Biden's administration. So some Second Amendment stories out of the state of Arkansas here this week. And we know how right now the Second Amendment, maybe more than ever, is coming under scrutiny and could be, as we talked about this week with Art Cruz, the Supreme Court with a big case headed their way soon in terms of the Second Amendment. Now to news out of North Carolina as Andrew Brown Jr., the black man shot and killed by North Carolina deputies last week, we now have arrangements for his funeral. Funeral will be held Monday for Brown, and Al Sharpton will be delivering the eulogy. Now, Sharpton also has delivered eulogies, I think, for George Floyd's funeral and uh, maybe some other ones out there of, of recent passings. But, yes, lawyers for Brown's family said the funeral will take place noon in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Other details of arrangements still being settled. Brown was shot and killed last week by Pasquotank County, North Carolina deputies serving drug-related search and arrest warrants. Brown's family asked Sharpton to deliver the eulogy because they felt the civil rights leader would probably honor his legacy. That's what the uncle of Brown said. So, Al Sharpton busy, I guess, away from MSNBC to go to eastern North Carolina to be part of this funeral. The civil rights leader delivered the eulogy last week for Dante Wright. See, I thought he might have done that, who was shot and killed by a police officer in Minnesota. But, again, the unrest there, Andrew Brown Jr., the killing or death, I should say, possible murder by sheriff's deputies in North Carolina. The FBI now looking into this case as it is a developing story out of the old North state. Another racially related story to pass along. And as a lover of history, I'm sorry. I don't know why this thing is getting as much attention as it is, but the Aloha state in the news here on the y'all show. Why are we talking about Hawaii on the y'all show? And what does it have to do with the South? Well, hold on, hold on to your lay I'll tell you all about it, okay? Why is Hawaii and the South connected? That's because Hawaii becomes the latest state to make Juneteenth a type of holiday as Hawaii's poised to become the 49th state to recognize Juneteenth after the Hawaii House and Senate both passed legislation on Tuesday designating June 19th as a day to commemorate the end of slavery in the United States. Now, if Hawaii's governor signs the bill, and you know they will, South Dakota would be the only remaining state in the U.S. that does not recognize Juneteenth as either a state holiday or a day of observance. South Dakota's Senate passed a measure earlier this year that would observe the day, but the bill didn't make it through the House. In North Dakota, the governor on April 12th signed legislation designating it a ceremonial holiday. Now, Governor David Aij of Hawaii has not indicated he plans his plans for the bill, which will not make the day a state holiday. Sorry, all of you in Honolulu and on the Big Island, you're not going to be able to take the day off when this does get signed into law. But Juneteenth, now what is Juneteenth? That is the day, actually, in 1865. It was roughly June of 1865 in Galveston, Texas. That word of the Confederacy surrender reached enslaved black people there and it was 
on or around the 19th of June. Thus, the reason it's called Juneteenth, because nobody knows exactly the day they found out that slavery was over, the war was over, and more. Galveston, Texas, and a large portion of the Lone Star State remained under Confederate control during the war between the states. And so Galveston, when they found out there was the end of the war and no more slavery, a celebration occurred. That was the last place that former slaves found out there was no more slavery after the the war came to an end. And so it's kind of slowly gained momentum over the last, I would say, decade. I, I knew about Juneteenth, but now you're seeing more observations of it around the country. And even President Trump, when he was president, said he would make it a, a national holiday at some point. I hope that doesn't happen. I, I have no problem recognizing it as an unofficial holiday, but geez, do we really need a Juneteenth national holiday when most people around the world and certainly around the country absolutely had no idea what it was and maybe still don't even know what it is today? And I'm talking about people of color had no clue what Juneteenth was. And I know that because I've heard them talk about it. So you, you, you have that going on in Hawaii. They're set to make Juneteenth some type of holiday. Is it a holiday of some type where you live? You betcha. As I said, 49 states now set to have some kind of observance and or state holiday. Some people don't have to go to work for Juneteenth. How about Maryland? It is not necessarily a conservative state when you stack it up along other southern states like, let's say, Kentucky and or West Virginia and or North Carolina. I would say Virginia is kind of a little bit on the liberal side these days. But how about this? In a unanimous vote, the Maryland State Board of Education approved a resolution on Tuesday that requires all school systems in Maryland to reopen five days a week for in-person learning, and that starts this fall. Now, the resolution forces school to return to full-time in-person instruction. The board president of the Maryland State Board of Education said their stance is subject to change depending on how the pandemic progresses. But a little positive news if you're a parent of a student in the state of Maryland that even the State Board of Education is now saying, hey, you got to go back to school. You just can't sit around teachers and students goofing off all day and having this virtual stuff. And I'm kidding. I've not, ne- I've never had to do virtual learning, nor have I had to teach virtually. But yes, even in Maryland, necessarily, as I said, not necessarily a conservative area of our region, they're saying you got to get back to it. More to come, I'm sure, on that front. Okay, here's a tragic business news story out of Middle Tennessee. If you've ever been on Interstate 24 south of Nashville on the way to Chattanooga, or if you're in Chattanooga headed toward Nashville, you've had to climb Mont Eagle Mountain. Oh, goodness, I've done that a million times. About half the times I've done that, I've been asleep because I'll be going through there around old midnight or so. But a popular Mont Eagle restaurant there on top of Mont Eagle Mountain, right near the University of the South in Swanee, popular restaurant is now considered a total loss after a fire burned through the building on Tuesday evening. Jim Oliver's Smokehouse Restaurant, a fire there. Fifteen fire departments arrived on top of the mountain to help put out the blaze before it actually spread to neighboring buildings or nearby vegetation. The smokehouse is about an hour and a half southeast of Nashville, 
and it's been a family-run business that has been up and going since the 1960s, a popular dining spot for those traveling along Interstate 24. Again, you got to climb that mountain before you either go up or go down, depending on which direction you're going. Good news, no injuries reported at this time, but it looks like a complete loss for Jim Oliver's Smokehouse Restaurant in Mont Eagle and right there at Sewanee. A total loss if you've been a traveler of that part of middle, almost East Tennessee, technically. a One less place for you to pull over. And a lot of times, if you've ever been on that road, you've had to pull over because your car's like, I, don't, I think I can. I think I think I think I can get up this mountain. I don't go that way when it's wintertime and snow and ice. Even though it's interstate highway, <laughs> I find another. I go around it, man. I'll go. I'll go to the Mississippi Delta to avoid ice and snowy hills for sure. A tragic story for animals coming out of the Commonwealth of Kentucky as a kennel fire. Kennel fire there has killed more than fifty dogs. This kennel specialized in breeding Labrador retrievers in the bluegrass of Kentucky, and fifty dogs. I guess. Uh, pardon the pun, hot dogs. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Devastating fire at this kennel in Bardstown. The owner of Doggy Style Kennels, Ron Kramer, announced on Facebook a video of the burning kennels, said that he'd return home from buying dog fruit food with his associate to discover the horrific scene. He said, you can imagine how devastating this is. My dogs were my life. The breeder there of Labrador Retrievers, said that he had had 27 full-grown dogs that died and the rest of the animals killed in the fire were puppies. So 27 full-grown labs, the rest were little puppies, but a total of 50 dogs dying when a fire broke out in Bardstown, Kentucky, here in the last couple of days. Now to a ridiculous story coming to us from the great state of Mississippi and Oh, those Mississippians, you don't want to get them mad, especially if they've had a chance to have a good time at the bar. They've been saddled up on a bar stool for a while. You you don't want to get them ticked off. Well, diners at a Mississippi restaurant had to end up taking cover as brawlers threw chairs and tore apart a restaurant, and all this captured on social media. You knew it would be. (laughs) Yeah, and it it was there. At Juicy Seafood Kicking Crab, fight broke out there after a confrontation started between two groups eating at the restaurant. Nobody's quite sure of what happened there. What happened at the Juicy Seafood Kicking Crab in Jackson, Mississippi? Oh, lordy. Yes, last happened over this past weekend. Fight broke out. Silverware, napkin dispensers, and even chairs were used as weapons. And now this video circulating online showing parents trying to protect their children as the brawlers hit each other and hurled chairs across the room. I got to watch this. I better not play this because it might have some expletives here, but uh, you better watch it when you step inside the Juicy Seafood Kicking Crab Jackson, Mississippi. There ain't no telling what kind of crab or silverware will be headed in your way. It headed your way and, and put you out for quite some time. For all you comic book lovers, here's a good story. Marvel has unveiled free comics for Comic Book Day 2021 as news stories will feature fan-favorite characters of the Avengers, Spider-Man, and a whole lot more. Free Comic Book Day 2021 is set for August 14th 
and 50 titles are lined up for a giveaway. So, yeah, FCBD, Free Comic Book Day, is an annual event. It's usually the first weekend in May, but it was put on by comic publishing companies in an effort to garner new readers for independent comic book stores. And Marvel is contributing by releasing two free titles of their own, each containing two stories. So if you like comic books, not early May this year. It's going to be pushed back to May from May to August 14th. 50 free comic books headed your way August 14th as part of Free Comic Book Day 2021. And I'm not joking on that. That's that's a great story and something that, again, comic books often get overlooked in today's social media world. But for a long time, they were a true form of social media for many a kid across the South and the country. And they're still out there. You still have legions of comic book lovers. And some of those comic books can actually be worth lots and lots of dough. Speaking of dough and making money, we've got the Southern Business Report. It is headed your way next on the Y'all Show. We've got some great news for farmers. All that is part of our show that covers everything farming and more and everything about the South. Stay tuned. South would love to undo the last couple of years, and I'll tell you why and some good news for those agrarians on this, the Y'all Southern Business Report. Back with the show that covers everything South, I'm John Rawl, putting South at the forefront, at the farmer's forefront, as we have business news now from across the region. Yes, Farmers have had plenty to worry about over these last two years, from flooding to bad weather, and then the coronavirus shutting so much stuff down. But now they've had to deal with low prices, bad weather, trade fights, problems tied to the coronavirus, and more. Farmers, though, looking on the bright side as things look to be improving here across the country. Last spring, farmers' hopes for a more normal season were initially wiped out by the virus, which disrupted domestic markets, slowed shipping to other countries, and devastated demand for corn-based ethanol as people stopped driving. And farmers across portions of the country were also hit by devastating windstorms, something called a derecho, which flattened uh, almost, I think, a million acres of crops in parts of the country. Then the federal government offset those hits with $50 billion in various kinds of aid 
to farmers plus crop insurance payments. That massive infusion of aid continued as U.S. agricultural exports recovered midway through 2020, eventually soaring up to $146 billion, the second highest export total ever, that according to the USDA. A University of Illinois agricultural economist says, 2020 ended up being the best of both worlds, huge government payment and unexpectedly high grain prices. Now, in the South, we don't have as much grain as other portions of the country, but all this trickles down, and those in the business of agriculture know that if some areas are having good things happen for them, and again, a lot of this is a result of government buyouts, payouts, however you want to describe it, Yeah, it could make a big difference. In February, net farm income set to decline about 8% because of a roughly $20 billion drop in direct farm payments. That according to a chief economist with the USDA. So, yeah, good news, farmers, as, again, after a couple of bitter years, things seem to be improving in 2021. Now to a story out of the Nashville area as Metro government there, the Metro Industrial Board of Nashville, approved an Oracle incentives deal in Nashville with a 7-2 vote. This now heads to the Metro Council of Nashville for a vote, but the 40-person Metro Council vote will have its say when they meet May 4th. All this about the forthcoming Oracle deal, a potential 1.2 million, uh, 1.2 million square foot campus on the east bank of the Cumberland as Oracle is looking to come into Nashville and open up shop and have, I I think I read this, about 8,000 employees or so. They're going to buy 65 acres of industrial property and have a huge impact there. Uh, okay, I was wrong. Uh, no, maybe I'm not wrong. I did see somewhere around 8,500 jobs or impact there of Oracle. We just told you, on Tuesday's y'all show about Apple having a campus open up in North Carolina, but Oracle now looks like if Metro government in Nashville does its job, they'll be welcoming in this tech giant into the volunteer state and specifically into Nashville with a huge presence there on the East bank of the Cumberland, I guess what we would call in the old days, East Nashville. Congressional Democrats are moving to reinstate regulations designed to limit potent greenhouse gas emissions from all oil and gas fields as part of a broader effort by the new administration to combat climate change. So those in Louisiana and other southern states where having the petroleum industry is sort of a big deal, this is a big story. The EPA approved this rule last year as the Senate took up a resolution or they're taking it up at some point today that would undo an environmental rollback by President Trump that relaxed requirements of a Obama administration rule that targeted methane emissions from gas and oil drilling. The EPA approved that rule last year. The agency's former administrator declared the change would strengthen and promote American energy while saving companies tens of millions of dollars a year in compliance requirements. But yes, a methane rollback in the news if you're in the petroleum industry across the southeast. More news out of Washington, D.C. You might have heard us talk about this Tuesday. The president has signed a $15 minimum wage for federal contract workers. 
So, yeah, if you work as a contractor for the government, the U.S. government, that is, you're going to see a pay bump from around $11 to $15 an hour for federal contractors, and that was all as a result of President Biden's signature. The Economic Policy Institute estimates that as many as 390,000 low-wage federal contractors are going to receive a raise with roughly half of the beneficiaries being either black or Hispanic. There's an estimated 5 million contract workers in the federal government, according to a posting in 2020 from the Brookings Institution. So a lot of people looks like moving up from 10.95 an hour to 15 bucks an hour to quote Bernie Sanders. That's a 37% pay hike for federal contract workers. You can thank Joe Biden for that one. DoorDash is offering a lower price delivery plan amid criticism as it's launching this system for restaurants responding to criticism that the commissions it charges are just too high for the restaurant industry. And so DoorDash, we've talked about companies like DoorDash here on the Y'all Show this week. The San Francisco-based company is now going to offer this basic plan that will charge restaurants 15% per order for delivery, around half the cost of previous plans. The plan will limit the delivery area and shift more delivery costs to the customer that might pay $4.99 instead of $2.99, for example. So you're likely to pay a little bit more, but the restaurant won't have to pay Restaurants can pay more, commissions of 25 to 30% for other plans if they want a larger delivery area, but more visibility in DoorDash's app or lower customer delivery fees, part of this. DoorDash said local restaurants and chain restaurants with less than 75 locations are now eligible for the new rate. The company wouldn't say how many of its partner restaurants meet that criteria, but DoorDash they, they deliver from nearly 400,000 restaurants using a network of 1 million freelance drivers out there. And as we heard, if you didn't hear it, Monday on the Y'all Show, Jerry Short, our Takapola storyteller, was on talking about how he's delivering for one of these national food service companies. And he likes it. And he's making okay money, but he actually just likes doing it. And nothing wrong with that. And There's a lot of people out here now that depend on these apps, these food service delivery apps, and they, I mean, we're talking DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats, and more, but it looks like DoorDash might have had a little bit higher commission that they were going after with restaurants, and that made restaurants mad, and now DoorDash is offering a lower percentage of commission to these beleaguered restaurants, so we wish them well All of you out there, whether you're delivering food or you're making the food in the restaurants, you're the manager, you're the owner of restaurants around the southeast, we really appreciate what you do, especially now that we're looking back a year from when the coronavirus really kicked into high gear. And many of us, yours included, one of the only highlights we had for a while there was getting in our car and going to a a drive-through usually, a lot of restaurants had to shut down in this really rough period about a year ago, and and in some cases it lasted more than just a month or so. But those people who were going in and, and making your meal for you at a fast food restaurant or any kind of restaurant or the grocery store workers, 
we really, now looking back, can't thank you enough. They put their, I won't say life on the line. In some cases, they may have. They actually might have come down with a virus, and they may not have if they had not been going into the restaurant to work in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic or working at the grocery store or the the Dollar General or any of our other stores that never missed a beat when it came to being open for the coronavirus. That is a quick look at what's going on across the Southland in terms of our southern business. When we come back after this, we're going to have a southern accent report on the arts. Kobe Bennett is ready to go with that, and we'll let old Kobe have his go of it when the Y'all Show continues. Also, later this hour, thanks to Kirkus Reviews, we've got the 16 best books to read in the month of May. What are they? Is your favorite book perhaps on the list? We'll share the good info when the Y'all Show rolls on with more here in Hour 2, 803-816-1170. That's the way to get in touch with us. Text us anytime, 803-816-1170. Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent continues after this. Southern accent. Here's what's entertaining the South from y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Topping the New York Times bestseller paperback trade fiction list once again is Delia Owen's Where the Crawdads Sing, a story set in the 1950s in the wild coastal marshes of North Carolina. There, a young woman named Kia Clark, known to outsiders as the Marsh Girl, lives a self-sufficient life in the marsh until love helps to draw her out of isolation. The novel's been a reappearing staple in the Times fiction bestseller list in the last few years, being the most sold fiction title on Amazon in 2019. Though Crawdads is her first novel, Georgia-born Delia Owens is no stranger to writing when she co-wrote with her husband in the mid-80s the non-fiction bestseller Cry of the Kalahari, which detailed their journey and observations through Africa's Kalahari Desert. An acclaimed zoologist, Owen's broad descriptions of the natural world is carried over from her past works into Where the Crawdads Sing. Filming for a theatrical adaptation of the book will begin this week in New Orleans under Reese Witherspoon's production company, Hello Sunshine. Daisy Edgar Jones will star as Kia Clark as this best-selling phenomenon hits the big screen. Entertainment headlines and more at y'all.com. Good job there, Kobe Bennett here on the Y'all Show with a southern accent on books. And he's talking about North Carolina Ray, or uh, he said, I think he said in the report she was born in Georgia. I think I heard that, but uh, most of her adult life she spent in the state of North Carolina. Delia Owens, where the crawdads sing, I'm looking at the latest New York Times bestsellers list. That book has been right there on the New York Times bestseller list. For 126 weeks, and I think I'm right on that. We're pushing almost three years. Delia Owens, where the crawdads sing, has been riding high on the New York Times bestsellers list. Speaking of books, we got more book talk coming your way. The website Kirkus Reviews does an amazing job covering the literature world, and they've got a brand new survey out. The 16 best books to read in May. We'll tell you what those books are right after this time out on Y'all, Y'all.
Got a few minutes left here, wrapping up this second hour of talking about everything in the South. And we're going to put books front and center here as we close out this second hour. Reminder, Hour 3 Art Cruise will be along. And how great thou art. Yeah, Art's going to be on to talk a little sports and more. Oh, yeah, can't wait for the fun when Cruise is back cruising along with us and we want you to be part of our show don't forget y'all.com is the homepage of the south you can find this show right there posted each and every day also in apple itunes and you can find us as well on the podcast app if you have the podcast app on a smartphone ipad etc check it out and also you can find us in iHeartRadio's app Doing our best to get all over the world in fact with the show that covers everything southern let's talk a little books Carcass Reviews, that is a website, if you haven't checked it out, they do a wonderful job of kind of tracking the book industry and just really anything related to the literary world. They're on top of CarcassReviews.com, the website, and they've got a new book list out called the 16 Best Books to Read in the Month of May. And we're going to kind of go through these, and I can't give you a personal statement of saying this is a wonderful book i read it it made me cry it made me so darn happy i'm going to go ahead and just tell you i haven't read any of these books i'm only just passing along what kirkusreviews.com has told us here as part of their review of the 16 best books to read in the month of may and yeah may will be here saturday so go get these books delivered on your doorstep between now and saturday and you'll be all set for the month of may up on the list first is Joan Silber's Secrets of Happiness. The Secrets of Happiness really will make you happy, at least for a few sweet hours. That's the disclaimer here from Joan Silber, who also wrote the book Improvement. And that is a fiction book out that you can read if you'd like to. It's part of the 16 best books to read in the month of May. All right, I'm going to butcher the author's name, but I'll give it my best shot. This is from the biography and memoir category. Notes on Grief from author Shamanda Ngozi Adichie. An elegant, moving contribution to the literature of death and dying. Oh, Notes on Grief. If you lost someone here recently, this could be a helpful book as it's a biography and memoir. Notes on Grief from author Adichie. Hey, how about a nonfiction read? The Secret to Super... Uh, I need this one. I need to read all about it because I want to be a superhuman. The Secret to Superhuman Strength is out from Allison Bechtel, illustrated by Allison Bechtel, a busy lady there. More thought-provoking work from an important creator. The Secret to super, Superhuman Strength, Allison can't wait to give that one a read and a gander because you've got some illustrations that you did there she's kind of tag teaming there with both the writing and the artwork there but 
pretty cool book, it looks like. Again, one of the 16 best books to read in the month of May, according to Kirkus Reviews. Back to the fiction world, and Maggie Shipstead has the book Great Circle. Ingeniously structured and so darn entertaining, this novel is as ambitious as its heroines, but it never falls from the sky. Great Circle, Maggie Shipstead. That's out. She also has penned a book called Seating Arrangements. Okay, it was real small there on the cover. I couldn't half read it. Seating Arrangements, another book penned by Maggie Shipstead. From the children's book category, Stamped. And it is a children's book adapted by Sanja Paul, also by Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi, illustrated by Rochelle Baker. Exhilarating, excellent, and necessary. And on it, it has Stamped for Kids as part of the cover artwork. And it says Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. So a little bit of uh, the social justice movement, it looks like, spilling over into a children's book, Stamped. One of Kirkus Review's 16 best books to read in this, the month of May, which will be here momentarily. From the teens and a young adult category, Rita Garcia's A Sitting in St. James, a marathon masterpiece that shares a holistic portrait of U.S. history that must not be dismissed and forgotten. Rita Garcia's A Sitting in St. James, out right now, and also one of Kirkus Review's books that you just got to read when May arrives. Julianne Margara Margalis, Margalis, you know, the actress. You've seen her on shows before. The famous actress Juliana Margalis. Sunshine Girl is a book that she has penned, and it is an unflinching quest to explain her life and makes her well-crafted memoir compelling whether you know her roles or not. And I'm going to look up. I, I don't know if she's got a connection to this part of the world or not, but I I want to know. I guess that explains why we haven't seen her on TV lately or, or maybe in movies because she's been an author. But she's got this new book out, Juliana Margaz. And what is she up to these days? Well, we're going to find out what she's up to as she's both an actress and a producer. She was born in Spring Valley, New York. Juliana is now 54 years young. And, of course, you might remember from The Good Wife that she had the lead role of Alicia Florick in that CBS legal drama. She's been in the movies Ghost Ship, Snakes on a Plane. I don't remember seeing her in that. Also in the movie The Upside. And she's also had roles on the AMC dark comedy series Dietland and the Nat Geo series The Hot Zone. Julianne Margalis. And what is she up to these days? Well, the last movie I see that she's credited as being in was Three Christ. That came out in 2017. As far as TV work, she played the role of Laura Peterson on The Morning Show. And that was, I think that's the show that's got Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon on Apple TV+. She was on that. She's been in theater also in her career. But she is an author. And she resides in Manhattan, and she also has a house in her native upstate New York. Yeah, Juliana Margals, and she's got the book out 
according to Kirkus Reviews, that you need to check out, Sunshine Girl. And it's on the list of books to read in the month of May. Rounding out this list, Echo Tree, fiction book by Henry Dumas. Misfit in Love from S.K. Ollie. That's a teens adult book. Also from the children's book category, Two Grooms on a Cake. And Extra Life by Stephen Johnson. The Rock Eaters, a fiction book by Brenda Painetto. Also, The Luck of the Titanic by Stacy Lee, a teen book there. Stroller Coaster is also in the children's category, written by Matt Ringler. The Block by Ben Oliver, a teen's adult fiction book there. You've got, from the children's category, Healer of the Water Monster from Brian Young. And again, that's the list from CarcassReviews.com of the 16 best books you need to be reading in the month of May. Busy time. In fact, real busy if you're a kid. Looks like a lot of those books are more for the young folks out there, and they don't have any excuse to say, I don't have anything to do. Carcass Reviews got you plenty of stuff. No more PlayStation. It's all about reading, y'all. Hey, read into this. We've got Hour 3 of the show all about the South coming your way right after this on Y'all. We're back on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. John Rawl and Art Cruz is going to be out today. Just got the notice from him, so we wish him the best. Uh, something going on with him, and we are completely in the understanding mode on that. But we want you to stick along and ride along for the fun of Hour 3 as we get into more Southern sports news and notes here on the Y'all Show. And we also have... More fun coming from various forms of Southern entertainment here on the show that covers the Southeast. 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with us here on the Y'all Show. It's easy to do. We can get your text, we can get your phone call, and we can get that 24 day, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, and we'll be happy to share your thoughts of what's going on in the South, from your perspective, all that right here on the Y'all Show. So we've got headlines coming up here on the Y'all Show. And then before the hour is up, I had one of the uh, feel-good things. I would call it, I'd put it in that list, feel-good thing happened to me on Tuesday. I got a, I got actually a text that I was not expecting, and it was apologizing. And I'll tell you why this random text was apologizing to me. And it's pretty neat, and it actually brings up the term that some of our mamas out there might want us to be bringing up more often, etiquette. Yes, what is the etiquette of something? We'll tell you about it when the Y'all Show continues on this hour. All right, let's talk a little baseball. Let's talk a little Major League Baseball. What's on tap today? What happened on Tuesday night as well? Well, just kind of scrolling through these stories and such. Hey, the Yankees got a rare win as they beat the Orioles 5-1. And the Nats, they fell to the Blue Jays 9-5 on Tuesday. The Rays, your defending American League champions, got a victory over the Oakland Athletics. 
The Braves shut out the Cubbies 5-0. That's after they just snuck by Chicago on Monday, and then on Tuesday they get the big win at Truist Park 5-0. The Fish of Miami won, or rather lost, to Milwaukee 5-4, and that game was played at uh, Miller, Miller Park, I guess is what it's still called. I've actually been to a game there, saw – Billy Brewer, I believe, the mascot, comes sliding down the slide there into the big old keg of beer. That was pretty neat to see. Phillies and the Cardinals got together, and on the banks of the Mississippi, the Cardinals won 5-2. to two. Rangers defeated the Angels of Los Angeles 6-1 to one Tuesday night. The Astros got a victory over the M's 2-0. The... That's the southern take of things. I will tell you that a little bit of a surprise, the the big red machine of Cincinnati went to L.A. and won there at Shea Ravine 6-5 over the big blue Los Angeles Dodgers. What's on tap in Major League Baseball on this Wednesday? Twinkies will be at Cleveland. The Miami Marlins playing at Milwaukee. Another matchup between the Reds and the Dodgers on this Wednesday. An afternoon game there coming from Los Angeles. I guess it would be a one one ten first pitch L.A. time. You can go see that game and get on the freeway and beat everybody home, it looks like. Kansas City will be at Pittsburgh for an early evening game. Boston and the Mets get together in an interleague matchup. The Yanks and the Orioles again on the diamond today. The Nats will be at Toronto, technically Buffalo, for a game there. A's down in St. Pete to take on the Tampa Bay Rays. Chicago and Atlanta on Fox Sports 1 today, that matchup from Truist Park. The Phils and the St. Louis Cardinals get together a 6.45 St. Louis time first pitch in that matchup. The A's and the Rangers, the Tigers and the Chicago White Sox. The Sox, fresh off a couple of days ago, a almost perfect game. The Southsiders and the Detroit Tigers on the diamond today. The Mariners and Houston together in the Bayou City. The San Diego Padres will be not too far away from their home. They'll be in the desert to take on the Diamondbacks. And Colorado will be playing the San Francisco Giants on this Wednesday of Major League Baseball. Now, we told you in the first, uh, rather second hour of today's y'all show, it might have been the first. I'm, I'm losing track of time here. Oh, Lord, what's happening to me? All right, speaking of baseball and Major League Baseball to be specific, so Nashville and Charlotte both would love to try to lure a Major League Baseball expansion franchise to their cities. Is that going to happen? Don't know. What's the cost? to get such an expansion franchise. Well, we do know that Commissioner Rob Manfred, Mr. I'm going to move the All-Star game out of Atlanta and move it to eh, maybe not so voter-friendly Colorado. The baseball commissioner spoke Tuesday during Sportico Live's online discussion of its estimates to baseball franchise valuations and the company estimated the average Major League Baseball franchise value is now $2.2 billion, and the Yanks are valued at $6.75 billion. Now, I have to wonder, if the Yankees are over $6 billion in value, I wonder what the New York Mets are valued. A team in the same market, 
I bet you they're nowhere close to the pinstripers. But that's just a guess. So if Nashville and or Charlotte or other expansion potential cities are to be included in Major League Baseball's growth in the future, cities like Las Vegas, potential Major League Baseball expansion city, Montreal, who are still upset, maybe even justified to be upset, that they had the Nationals, the former Montreal Expos, ripped away from them. Yes, we, we, Montreal, you had them, the Expos, one of the, how would you describe them? Mm, unusual is one way to put it. The, the, the uniforms, especially in the old 70s unis and such, they did get pretty cool there when they had, the, back in the early 2000s, remember they'd play some in Puerto Rico. And that was that was a little bit unusual. They got bought out by the the old Expos, got purchased or taken over by Major League Baseball. That's why they started shipping them to some games in Puerto Rico and such. And ultimately, they sold the team to somebody in Washington, D.C. to turn them into the Nationals. But it would be neat to see baseball back in Montreal to kind of pair Montreal up again with the Blue Jays from that country of Canada. Other expansion teams could be Vancouver, also in Canada, and Portland, Oregon, which ought to be in Canada. And then you've got, uh, of course, Charlotte and Nashville from here in the south as they're hoping to get Major League Baseball to go from 30 teams to potentially 32 teams if there were to be an expansion. But it looks like, based on the valuation of Major League Baseball teams, it's going to come with a heavy, heavy price if any of these southern teams want to play ball like the way i put that there yeah that that is uh that's the cost okay let me tell you about a sad story former tampa bay buccaneer and nfl player former florida state seminole linebacker geno hayes has died at the age of 33 he was diagnosed with liver disease two years ago and had been awaiting a liver transplant Gino Hayes was only 33 years old. He died at his parents' home in Valdosta, Georgia, in hospice. But a guy who had been a just absolute tough guy on the football field, losing his life to liver disease at the age of 33. Our thoughts certainly go out to the family and to the people that remember Gino, Hill, Gino as a great college football player for the Knowles, and then moving on to play for teams like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Buccaneers put out a statement. We are deeply saddened to learn of Geno Hayes' passing. During his time with the Buccaneers, Geno was a beloved teammate and often the first player to volunteer his time to our efforts in the community. He frequently visited schools and had a remarkable ability to connect with children Losing him at such a young age is heartbreaking. Our thoughts and prayers are with his family. That a an official release from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a NFL franchise that this former Florida State Seminole played for during his several years in the NFL. He also played for the Bears and Jaguars. Despite being hospitalized over 20 times in the past year, Geno Hayes was optimistic about getting a new liver. He told ESPN in December that he'd been placed on a waiting list at the Mayo Clinic and also at Northwestern Medicine. What's a, what a tragic thing. And I know here's a guy who 
we're talking about today because he was an NFL player and a college football great dying at the age of 33. This happens every day. People young, people mid-age, people old, having liver disease, having other ailments, that there could be a potential donor and it never works out. The timing doesn't work out, and I guess that's what happened here with Geno Hayes, his potential liver donor that he needed for a liver transplant. It just didn't happen, and now he loses his life waiting for what could have been potentially a life-saving transplant. And if you are someone who maybe you've benefited from a liver transplant, perhaps you have known someone who's had a kidney, liver, other body part transplant, you've been the recipient or you've been the donor, that is a special thing that happens in this world of today. This is something that our forefathers, I'm sure, would be blown away that this could even happen. But it can be an amazing, life-saving thing when people are successfully matched up and can be extended a long life because someone out there was willing to give of their own. And sometimes, as we know, it ends up being someone who's lost their life in an accident and their body parts are then taken and donated to medical centers and more. And a life continues when one life is taken away. So as we talk about the Geno Hayes story today, just a reminder, there's a lot of, I know this is a sad story. This is this is a case where it just didn't work out, but we have to remember sometimes all the many positives of people who are willing to give give their body parts. I don't have on my license that option to donate my organs. I've thought about it. I wonder how many of you out there have done or at least indicated that you are willing to give of yourself upon your passing and or I guess something like a kidney. You don't have to be dead or dying to have your kidney given to someone else if it's a match. It's a special thing, as I said, that some people, a lot of people actually do give. And thank goodness for that. Let's not forget linebacker Geno Hayes, NFL player, Florida State Seminole, passing away at the age of 33. Reminder, this weekend at Churchill Downs, you got the running of the Kentucky Derby and a thoroughbred with a Louisville area tie is the 2-1 to favorite for winning this year's Derby. Essential quality. Is that your nickname, y'all? Is that what people say? You have an essential quality? Well, essential quality is the name of this horse. And it will start from the number 14 post at the 147th running of the Kentucky Derby at Churchill Downs. Now, this is a race set for right around 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Central when the races, the racehorses race out at the $3 million, one-and-a-quarter-mile marquee race for three-year Colts this year. The Derby back on this first Saturday of May after last year being delayed to Labor Day weekend because of the coronavirus pandemic. About 45,000 souls are expected at the racetrack. 
I wonder if that's 45000 on the whole property or in the stands or out there in the infield because we know that a lot of times the people who go to these race, uh, races, the famous saying is, we went to the race and we never saw a horse. Well, maybe this year with maybe a little bit smaller crowd, you're, you're going to have to see lots of horses out there. Also in the field, Rock Your World. Rock Your World is the 5-1 to one second choice from the number 15 slot with known agenda, the 6-1 to one third choice, despite, despite drawing the rail in the 20-horse field. Hot Rod Charlie drew 8-1 to one odds as the fourth choice from the number 9 slot. So, yeah, a lot of people looking at essential quality, the reigning 2-year-old champion who enters the run for the Roses, having won all five races and with Louis Says aboard. Now, Says has... Had a haul of graded stakes victories, including a gutsy bluegrass victory at Keeneland back on the 3rd of April. And so a lot of people focusing in on this racehorse coming in here this weekend. Essential quality, and it has that Kentucky tie. So check it out. Maybe you've got big plans for the Derby. And let me remind you, if you have plans or you need to make plans, y'all.com is where you need to be making your way to because the Homepage of the South has right there on the homepage. I'm staring at it. It's right in my face and it's galloping at me like essential quality. Y'all.com has the ultimate Kentucky Derby Kentucky Derby guide up right now. We just posted this hours ago. Go there, learn more about the 147th running of the Derby and its predecessor on Saturday, the Kentucky Oaks. Learn all about the fun. And then you got some great recipes there, some mint julep recipes. I'm going to walk through that in just a second. You can learn about Kentucky Derby hats, a link to a story there. Also, more information on the history of the Kentucky Derby at y'all.com. Some Derby and Oaks wagering options if you're into putting a little money on the horses. Also, the largest Derby party south of Louisville is a story up there. I got to click on this story. I don't know about this one. See, we got so much stuff here that sometimes it's hard to find out what's going on there. But, uh, yeah, we have that up at y'all.com. And then Louisville Brunch Spots is another story that you can check out if you go to y'all.com. Let me read off a few of these in case you're in the Louisville area or you're heading up there this weekend and or other times. You might be looking for a good brunch spot in the Louisville area. Wild Eggs, they have four locations in the Louisville area, and they offer apple bourbon crepes. Wild, not just chicken and waffles, but wild chicken and waffles. This is chicken infused with waffle with Nashville hot chicken breast. (laughs) So it's a spicy chicken and waffle. That sounds pretty darn good. I don't know if I'd want to have that at 6 in the morning. They also have Calamity Katie's Border Benedict. That's green chili corn cakes topped with chorizo and eggs. I hope I said that right. Also, another Louisville eatery worth checking out for breakfast or brunch is Toast on Market. Serves breakfast and lunch all day. It's a local favorite in the heart of downtown Louisville. Uh, Some of the things on the menu, homemade granola, an Atlantic omelet, which is smoked salmon, and also French toast and lemon souffle pancakes, highlighting the menu of Toast on Market. Louisvillians... All know farmer Ivor Chodowski, a man who put the farm in Louisville's farm-to-table movement 
And this farmer has Harvest. Harvest is a brunch option. Brunch is only served, though, Friday through Sunday. Specials are posted in advance on Harvest's Facebook page. Regular brunch items include pretzel croissants, farmer's omelet made with seasonal ingredients, and also you can get your sinuses open with Harvest deviled eggs. All this at Ivor Chukalski's Harvest Restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky. Another brunch eatery place that you can read all about at y'all.com. If you're going to the Derby this weekend, Blue Dog Bakery and Cafe. That is in Crescent Hill. And this is an artisanal bakery known for its bread and pastries. Open for for brunch from 9 until noon and lunch until 2 p.m. Tuesday through Saturday. Some of the specialties you can find at Blue Dog Bakery and Cafe. Poached free range egg and bacon pizza. Also, the spicy tuna, fresh mozzarella, and avocado sandwich. Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> and lastly, as one of the top five breakfast or brunch spots in Louisville, getting, re- getting y'all ready for the Kentucky Derby in case you can't tailgate before and you need a good brunch spot, the Silver Dollar. And the writer of this says, think 1950s Bakersfield, California diner meets Southern Honky Tonk. This specializes in whiskey by the drink. Brunch is served Saturday and Sunday from 10 to 3 p.m. And some of those specials include flank and eggs, grilled coffee, and spice rub steak. Two over easy eggs plus roasted poblano sauce or poblano sauce. The SD Dog cornbread pancake battered smoked breakfast sausage with a little maple syrup thrown in for fun. And they also have the chili cheese hash brown. Texas style or vegetarian with scallion and cheddar. All this at the Silver Dollar in Louisville. And all this is part of the top five breakfast brunch spots getting you ready for the Kentucky Derby in Louisville, Kentucky. That's just one of the stories you can find as part of the article Ultimate Kentucky Derby Guide. Uh, 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 Ultimate Kentucky Derby Guide. Also, as we said earlier in the show, you got your mint julep recipe there and the official Derby menu recipes option. Some of this coming from Churchill Downs itself. You can find it at y'all.com right now. Please, please go check it out. Now to college football. Mississippi coach Lane Kiffin has made a change. Not at quarterback, not at running back, not with the Grove attire that all the ladies will be suiting up in here in a couple of months. No, he is firing his offensive line coach, Randy Clements, And this comes just a couple days after Mississippi held its Grove Bowl at Vault-Hemingway Stadium. Yeah, only a couple days after Kiffin decides that the offensive line coach and running game coordinator Randy Clements is going to be packing his bags and heading on out of Lafayette County. He had been entering his second season on Kiffin's staff at the University of Mississippi. He actually came with Kiffin after Kiffin was hired as the coach of Mississippi in December of 2019. Now, sources have said that Kiffin's decision to fire Clements was for football reasons and not related to any off-the-field issues. So there you have it. A, an assistant coach of an SEC school shown the door after the spring football game. See, it's a competitive world out there. The Mississippi Landsharks led the SEC in rushing last season with 210 yards per game, and they were fourth in sacks allowed, though with 19 so yeah i guess coach kiffin the lane train is trying to 
I, I do the best job he can, and he should be. He's getting lots of money, as all of our coaches in college football get in this uh, world we live in, where college sports a big honking deal. You know what else is a big honking deal? We got the 2021 NFL Draft headed your way Thursday. And on the clock, the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence will most likely be the number one pick of Jacksonville. I hope so. He's already given money to charity in Duval County. After Jacksonville picks, the New York Jets will be on the clock, followed by the 49ers, then the Falcons at number four. The Cincinnati Bengals are on the clock at number five in the round one draft. The Dolphins are at six. The Detroit Lions will be picking seventh in this year's NFL draft. The Carolina Panthers at eight. The Broncos at nine. Dallas checks in at number 10 in this year's NFL draft. Southern teams beyond number 10 in the NFL draft. You've got the Miami Dolphins at 18. The WFT, Washington football team, has the 19th pick in this year's NFL draft. The Tennessee Titans trying to rebound from an awful 2020 draft pick. They have the 22 slot in this year's NFL draft. The Jaguars appear in the first round again. As from the L.A. Rams, they got a draft pick. Number 25, Jacksonville has a second first-round pick in this year's draft. The Baltimore Ravens have the 27th pick in the draft. The New Orleans Saints, are they going to try to maybe get a quarterback? Will there be a good quarterback available to replace Drew Brees? The Saints have the 28th pick in this year's draft. And the Ravens appearing again at number 31. They got this draft pick from the Kansas City Chiefs. And lastly, your defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the final pick in this year's NFL draft. And this will be all over TV, all over the talk shows and more when Thursday late afternoon, evening arrives. Always fun. It's for many kind of like a national holiday when the NFL draft goes down. We've got more of the Y'all Show coming up. Don't miss out on all things Southern We'll be sharing some good news and more. We also have some headlines coming your way after this break. All that here on the show that covers Dixie. Continuing on with more of Talk About the South, John Rawl. Good to have you back. 803-816-1170. Text call anytime you feel like it. Hey, do you think you might have entered the wrong profession? After about the, the second paragraph of this next story, I know I'm sitting here having second thoughts. Nah, I shouldn't have been a singer. I should have been a UFC fighter. I didn't see the thing, but I heard about this past weekend there was a big UFC fight. Guy got his leg broke in the first couple of seconds of that. I'm sure he got paid a handsome amount for getting his broke leg. And the other guy who did the leg breaking got even more money. And now this story coming from UFC. 
Conor McGregor is no longer the majority owner of the whiskey brand that he helped found. Again, this had nothing to do with actually fighting it. It's just because he's a big star. I think he's from Ireland. Conor McGregor has sold his whiskey brand and get the amount that he got paid for this. Proximo Spirits, a company that owns Jose Cuervo and other alcohol brands, has acquired a majority stake in proper number 12 Irish whiskey, a deal worth up to $600 million. Again, to a guy who goes out there and fights, and he had a, a, a whiskey now that he's sold for $600 million. Proximo previously held a 49% stake in the company. The $600 million will go to brand co-founders McGregor, his agent, Audi Attar of Paradigm Sports Management, and their partner, Ken Austin, who told a publication that the sum includes the $250 million the team already earned in the brand's first two years in business with Proximo. This whiskey was founded in 2018 and had been promoted very vigorously by McGregor, the most popular star in UFC history. Proximo's new stake in the brand was not disclosed, nor was the length of the agreement. So, again, Conor McGregor getting the rich, keep on getting richer and maybe even a little bit more lively with a $600 million payday thanks to the selling of proper number 12 whiskey to Proximo Spirits for $600 million. Yeah, I'm envious. Are you envious? Are y'all envious? Well, maybe you ought to be. Yeah, I haven't even had that stuff, this Irish whiskey. We've got more of the Y'all Show, some headlines before we get out of here. And again, coming up at the end of the hour, some talk about etiquette. Oh, yeah. We'll be right back with more Y'all. Hill Beauty there, Cheryl Crow, as we're kind of winding things down on this Wednesday, y'all. Hope y'all are doing really good out there. Had a good show here. Want to thank Jonathan Lifeite for coming on with us in hour one. If you missed out on that, he had his ACC report. Mr. Lifeite is with 247sports.com, and we found out what was going on with a couple of the ACC football teams that just wrapped up their spring drills, North Carolina. And the Ramblin' Wreck of Georgia Tech. Also, we talked a little college baseball with Jonathan Lifeite. If you missed that, go to y'all.com and listen to the podcast in its entirety. It's right there. Also in Apple Podcasts, iTunes as well, iHeartRadio, and at y'all.com, the home page of the South. Let's share a little news before we get out of here. Recap of what's going on in the world and some fun stuff as well. 
Joe Biden's got his first State of the Union address taking place on this Wednesday evening. And this comes right at 100 days that he's been in office. A lot of people expected that State of the Union to happen much, much sooner. It didn't happen. He's the president. He can do it or not do it. Remember, in the days of Trump, people were wondering if he was even going to do one one or two of those years. But uh, Joe Biden, we'll see how it goes for the 46th president of the United States as he has his State of the Union, and he's expected to talk about a plan that's going to cost trillions of dollars. This is a new plan. Looks like he's got a new trillion-dollar plan coming out every few days. This one he'll be talking about as part of the State of the Union. He's also expected to talk about coronavirus and the vaccinations and more. And on Thursday, the president and the first lady, Jill Biden, will be boarding Air Force One. And they're heading to the state of Georgia, where they'll be having a speech there, a virtual or socially distant speech there in the Atlanta area to mark the 100 days in office. And also, they'll be heading on down to Plains, where they'll be visiting with the nation's, I think he was the 39th president, Jimmy Carter, will be welcoming in the Bidens to Plains, Georgia on Thursday. And of course, Jimmy Carter now... I think 96, Rosalind Carter is 93, and they're up and going. Both the Carter family and the Biden family have all been vaccinated. I wonder if they'll each have 10 masks on when they get together, but yeah, Jimmy Carter welcoming in Joe Biden, of course, as a youngster. Joe Biden was a U.S. senator from the first state, Delaware, during the President Carter administration. So that's some news coming out of D.C., in terms of the President of the United States. Now, to some other news happening across the Southeast. As we know, in North Carolina, it has been a ugly scene there over the last few days after the Sheriff's Department there in eastern North Carolina is alleged to have shot a man there and killed him, shot him in the head, according to one report. Andrew Brown Jr., shot and killed by deputies of Pascatank County, North Carolina, and we know the funeral plans are set for Mr. Brown. Al Sharpton will be delivering the eulogy on Monday when the funeral for Andrew Brown Jr. takes place. Now, Sharpton delivered an eulogy last week for Dante Wright, who was shot and killed by a police officer in Minnesota, and I know he delivered the eulogy at one of the George Floyd funerals of 2020, but Sharpton a busy fella out here, and he will be participating in Monday's funeral for Andrew Brown Jr. in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. This case is now being looked at by the FBI of what exactly happened to the cause this death as he was killed during, I think, a drug inquiry there in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. A developing story. We'll keep our eye on it here on the y'all show all right to florida we go we need some florida fun here on the y'all show don't we an annual boat party there has led to the arrest of dozens as the boca bash returned after a 2020 pandemic hiatus and now authorities in the sunshine state made at least a dozen drunken arrests on sunday during this annual wild boating party called the boca bash the Boca Bash is one of South Florida's biggest parties on the water. An arrest happened. I'll see some social media of the 
guys and gals, not wearing a whole lot of clothing, by the way, getting taken off to the Hooskow. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission arrested 10 people for boating under the influence and one person for disorderly intoxication and resisting arrest. Do you really want to resist arrest on a, on a boat? Because really, if I were the Boca Raton police, I think I just might throw some of these people overboard. Just kidding. Everybody I see is wearing a life jacket, so it probably wouldn't be too har- harmful to them if you threw them overboard. But yeah, one person arrested by Boca police on charges of resisting arrest without violence. So one person I see on social media, Susanna Bryan, wrote, Some didn't want to be tardy for the party. Voters started showing up for the big Boca Bash at 8 a.m. The current situation, they party and the cops wait. And Boca police are on the water today, too. So, yeah, the the people there knew that they were going to get maybe a little rowdy, especially after having to wait over a year. Jet skiers, kayakers, paddle boarders, and more in the shallow waters of Lake Boca Raton for this annual bash and, yeah, it it could have gotten a lot worse. I don't know of anybody getting hurt or maimed or anything like that. But city leaders of Boca Raton were afraid the party would become a super spreader event as well. But it it happened. And other than a people, uh, 10 or so people going off to the jail, it, it uh, looks like it was a fun day. It looks like it was a beautiful day there at Boca Raton, a, a lovely city, it appears. Not been there. Have you all been to Boca Raton? Looks like a... Great slice of South Florida. How about this story? Speaking of the coronavirus pandemic, restaurants hit hard by the pandemic can now apply for a share of more than $28 billion in grant money. And restaurants around the Southeast are taking advantage of this. On Tuesday, the Small Business Administration announced that they would start taking applications for the Restaurant Revitalization Fund. And that's set to start Next week, $28.6 billion with $5 billion set aside for the smallest restaurants. The grant will give establishments up to $10 million for pandemic-related revenue loss. Recipients will not have to repay that money as long as it's spent by March 11, 2023. The National Restaurant Association applauds the Small Business Association's efforts but says that is not enough money. No, it probably isn't, but good Lord. You just can't give everybody in the world all the money in the world to try to make them happy. Analysis by the NRA, National Restaurant Association, yeah, that the other NRA, shows that 13 months into the pandemic, restaurant and food service sales were down $280 billion. Okay, according to Forbes, only 2% of black-owned businesses received loans as part of the CARES Act. So, yeah, the minority business owners also looking to potentially benefit from this. But it it is a good sign that $28 billion now being available through grant money for struggling restaurants across the southeast and across the country. And lastly, speaking of restaurants, I'm not sure if this restaurant out of Ohio needs grant money or not and how well they fared during the coronavirus pandemic, but White Castle restaurants, yeah, you can find them big time in Ohio and other northern states. You can also find them in, I think the last one I went to was in uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, actually, I think is the last White Castle I 
was able to go in and eat a meal in person. Uh, that got him in Middle Tennessee, one right off of West End in, in Nashville, frankly, is one that I've been to a lot in my lifetime. But mostly in northern Kentucky is where you'll find White Castle, but they are expanding. And speaking of expansion for the fast food joint that's open for breakfast as well as the other meals, I guess they're open 24 hours a day, come to think of it. But White Castle is getting ready in Orlando to open the world's largest White Castle, and that opens next week. The restaurant will be the only White Castle in the entire state of Florida, so... Florida, you not, you haven't had a White Castle. You got Whataburgers, but you don't have White Castle, and you're about to get your first, and it's going to be the world's largest freestanding White Castle in the world, and it will open Monday, May 3rd at 8 a.m. Aside from being the largest White Castle, it also will be the fast food chain's first restaurant in Florida since the 1960s when it had four locations in Miami. I don't remember those being in Miami back in the 60s. I don't know why I missed out on that. This new restaurant in Orlando is located near I-4 between Walt Disney World and Universal Studios in a new development from Unicor called The Village at O-Town West. And they've got a clock going there on their official White Castle social media account at White Castle. Start the countdown, Orlando, one week away until our doors are open on May 3rd. Looks like fun, according to the announcement White Castle will hire 120 employees there at their Orlando location. That includes managers as well as team members. And get ready for the fun of Orlando and White Castle. Exactly what you need when you go see the mouse is to pull in there and get a bunch of sliders. I love me some White Castle sliders. Of course, Crystal, I don't want to leave you out here. Good old Tennessee-founded company now based in Georgia. We love our Crystal restaurants in the southeast, too. There's just something special about those little sliders, whether they be from Crystal's or White Castle, that if you like hamburgers, I know that technically the sliders from White Castle are considered hamburgers, but they're really not. It's like a whole it's like a whole different language. I'm sorry. But good news, when you go see Mickey and go to Epcot and all the other fun things of Central Florida, you've got a new entertainment option for you, the whole family. And that's one restaurant that you all might could actually afford to go to when on vacation at Orlando or going to Disney World. White Castle, the world's largest White Castle, opening next week. That is the kind of information here on the Y'all Show you're just not going to find anywhere else. I'm sorry. We do a good job of giving you plenty of information that has been scanned here on this program before we come on. And we're not sitting here all day long talking about the same old political stuff or sports stuff. We mix it all in, and then we have a lot of good, fun information, too. So, woo, can't wait to go get me one of them sliders now. I'll tell you what, I can't wait to tell you about a really neat thing that happened to me via a text on Tuesday. I'll share that with you as we wrap up our final segment of the Y'all Show after this.
France And Jackie's seen in a discotheque Doing a brand new dance And the White House social season Should be glittering and gay But here in Topeka The rain is a-falling The faucet is a-dripping And the kids are a-balling One of them a-toddling And one is a-crawling And one's on the way Thank you, ma'am. This is our show that is wrapping up. This is the Y'all Show. And we are, I mean, Loretta Lynn is definitely the quintessential Southern woman. I bet she's probably taught a few etiquette lessons to her children and maybe grandchildren. Heck, she's probably even got great-grandchildren, come to think of it. Miss Loretta, love that song there. I have a little etiquette lesson that I want to pass along here on this final segment of today's Y'all Show. Out of nowhere, on Tuesday afternoon, I got a text from a number I did not have saved in my phone. And the text said, sorry, exclamation mark, didn't mean to call. Now, that's a welcome random text to get because usually if you're like me, you get all these crazy texts and phone calls from numbers you don't recognize. And you're thinking, okay, what are they trying to sell me? What kind of scam is this? Where's this person actually calling from when it says they're calling from a town 20 minutes from here? They're likely 20 minutes on the other side of New Delhi. But this text I got said, sorry, didn't mean to call. And... I didn't even know what they were talking about. So I had to go back on my phone and I hit the missed calls option. And sure enough, this same number had just called me. And the reason they had texted me is they were, just like the text said, apologizing that they called me and they didn't mean to call. And I thought, that's pretty cool. Because one thing I can't stand is if you do accidentally misdial, call somebody sometimes, the person on the other end calls you right back. Hey, I got a call from this number. Maybe you're guilty of that. Hey, who is this? I can't stand that. And I guess I'm also guilty of calling numbers that call me sometimes. And I say, hey, I'm John. I just got a call from this number. So, uh, How hypocritical of me to judge on that aspect. But, yeah, I got that. And I just thought that was kind of a neat thing to get a an apology from someone who called me by mistake and it had me thinking is there etiquette for missed calls and i found an article written by amy dickinson at news-herald.com and she answers that question about phone call and missed call etiquette to be specific so what is dear amy's as she calls herself what is the proper thing to say as someone wrote and said i hope you can help solve a disagreement that they had. She said, when my sister calls and I miss the call, she expects a quick call back because I saw her missed call pop up on my phone. I do not deliberately ignore her calls, but I don't have my phone glued to my hip. When I see a missed call, but no voicemail or text, I assume that it's nothing important or that she was just calling to shoot the breeze and do not immediately call back. She feels that I should always call her back when I see a missed call because this is a simple courtesy. Ooh, it's all getting good here. So here's what dear Amy responds. My reaction to this is that of the two of you, your sister is the one who wants something specific, a call back. You have told her how to get what she wants from you, 
by leaving a voicemail or sending a text. She is refusing to do this, and so she is not going to get what she wants. I don't think that this is an etiquette question so much as an issue regarding human nature as well as the strength of specific relationships. I happen to follow the same basic practice as you do. If I see a missed call from someone I communicate with regularly with no voicemail message or text, I return the call when and if I want to. You might compromise by shooting her a text saying, What's up? Can I call you later? When you see a missed call notification. But given your sister's overall demanding attitude regarding contact, I give you props for returning her calls at all. Ooh, dear Amy coming through, just like old Abigail Van Buren did, I guess, in the Dear Abby days. Oh, that's a good Dear Abby. News-Herald.com is where this came from, the response of social media etiquette and more if you got a missed call. And so, yeah, let's just be a little nicer out there, y'all. Well, that will wrap up today's Y'all Show on the Thursday Y'all Show. Tune in. We've got more sports news as the NFL draft occurs Thursday evening. We've got country music news courtesy of Precious Harris on the Thursday Y'all Show. It's so much to get to, we just can't wait to get to it. So don't miss out on the fun of this, the show that covers all the South. I'm John Rawls, signing off.